Hey everybody, this is Keith Loy. I'm the founding senior pastor of Celebrate Church in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and this is our podcast. I just want to say thank you for joining us, and it is my prayer that this week's message will truly encourage you. Enjoy. Oli and Sven were known to have this amazing friendship. Maybe you've heard of them. Well, one day they were out hunting, and Oli saw something move in the bushes, so he took a shot. When he got there, it was his friend, Sven. He shot him, and he was hit hard. Immediately, Oli called 911 and asked them what to do, and the operator simply asked, is he dead? There was a long pause, another gunshot. Then Oli got back on the phone and said, yes. (laughs) Now, I say that because last week, Pastor Reed and Pastor Jonathan began talking about what it means to be built tough when it comes to family and friends. And if you got your notes and want to take them out, and I quickly want to review and bring you up to speed, if you will, because they gave us three of the six key ingredients to what it means to be built tough when it comes to your family and your friends. Here's the first one they said, and and I just want you to write this down, and I want you to look at what you're writing. Do I have staying power. Now, I want you to think about that for a moment. Because right now in our world, I contend that most people don't. When the going gets tough, they go right out the door. And it's always somebody else's fault. They're always playing the victim. Over and over, I hear people come to me and say, but you don't know what they did to me, as if everything they've done was absolutely perfect. Always playing the victim. But my question again is, do I have staying power? In other words, can I be counted on? That when the going does get tough, I'm steadfast. I'm immovable. I can be counted on. Now, I want you to think about that for a moment, especially the older generation. We've been around the block a little bit more than the younger generation, but I want you to reflect back, if you would, about your life right now and think about the friends that you have now. Are they the same friends you had 30, 40, 50 years ago? Why is that if they've changed? And think about where your thoughts go. Is the first thing you thought about, well, they walked out the door. Is your first thoughts always again, somebody else is to blame? What is it about us that we think we're perfect? If I confront you with it, you will say, no, I'm not. The only problem is we don't admit it unless we are confronted with it. It's always somebody else. They're always the problem. Am I built tough? Do I have staying power? Can I be counted on? Here's the second one, the question they asked. Am I selfless. Am I selfless? In other words, am I interested always in the other? Or do I keep making it about me? Am I always quick to want to be heard rather than to listen? Remember the illustration that Jonathan gave us when you look at a picture, who's the first person you look for? Yourself. What is it about us? 
There's so many other people in the picture, but the moment we don't like what we see in ourselves, we deem the picture as bad. Think about that for a moment. How selfish is that? That maybe somebody else in the picture finally, in their eyes, took a good picture and you just told them it's a bad picture because you don't like the way you look. It's crazy how quickly we are selfish. And yet Philippians 2 says we're to think of others more important than ourselves, just as Jesus did. And then Paul goes on to say what? Jesus, who went to the cross, gave up his life for ours. Always thinking of others. When Jesus was birthed, and we'll talk about that in a moment towards the end uh, of how we're going to celebrate that. But when Jesus was birthed, he knew why he came. <clears throat> he came first and foremost for who? Us. For God so loved that he gave. It's a selfless type of love. Here's number three. And finally, can I keep a secret? Can I keep a secret? Are you trustworthy? When someone says something to you, do they always have to preface, listen, this stays in the office. This doesn't leave this room. And I, and I want you to know something. You just need to know this. If I ever tell you something and I find out it went to someone else, I will never tell you anything again. You just need to know that. If you go, well, that's just wrong. I don't care. Because you've already told me you're not trustworthy. And I am not about to continue to open up my heart to you when you don't seem to cradle it the way God does. You will never get that opportunity in. Life's too short and I don't have the privilege. And I, I want you to listen to this. You didn't make a mistake. Especially if I asked you that this stays between you and I. You were intentional. And there's something wrong with you. Folks, please hear this. Gossip is not a spiritual gift. And nor is it a prayer request. I've had so many people say, Pastor, tell me what's going on in your life so I can pray for you. Well, I always say this. Why don't you talk to the one who knows everything going on in my life? You don't need to know. Because I've, I've done things, and I know why the church struggles today, not just celebrate, but churches through this country, is because of this one right here. It is the number one reason why people struggle with the church. Because when they come with their pain, this should be the safest room in the world, should it not? This should be the safest people of all of mankind are God's children. And so this is a big one. If we're going to be built tough, we need to know when people share things with us, it stays with us. And, and don't pull this one. Why well, share everything with my spouse? Please tell me. First of all, I believe you're dishonest because you don't. Um, and I'm just going to, I'm not going to hear to argue with you. Uh, but you don't. And nor you should you. Um, and, uh, but I hear people always justifying and saying that. See, my love for Kay is to protect Kay. And there's things that go on in this church she doesn't need to know. Because when it shares here and then I take it home, it's always, if you will, a little skewed because it's becoming from my perception. And my wife loves me. She's always going to take my side. And I don't want her to be in that frame of mind. I don't want her to have to take sides. There's a lot of things she does not know. So when you're like you and I are having a problem... <clears throat> and you see her at the mall and she's really nice to you, she's not faking it. She's not trying to make you feel like crap, okay? 
She's just really being nice because she loves you. She has no idea what's going on. I figured if you want her to know, you call her up and invite her over and you share with her. There's just a lot of things I don't go there. Why? Because I want to protect her. And there's a lot of stuff she doesn't need to carry. Does that make sense? Because that's what love does. It eases the burdens. I'm not hiding anything from her. I'm actually loving her. Can you keep a secret? Now, I want to pause for a moment, and I want you to think about this series. As we're getting ready now, we're going to wrap up our series and talk about the last three key ingredients to what it means to be built tough when it comes to family and friends. But I just want to back up the truck for a moment, and I want you to think about this series. A lot of people go, this isn't your, if you will, your typical Christmas series. I would argue, I think this might be one of the greatest Christmas series we've ever done. Because Jesus didn't come to put tinsel up and lights and have trees and presents. Jesus came to change our life every day and to be about family and friends and all of this stuff, right? That's what Jesus came for, that we would be built tough. So I want you to think about that. Back up to the first week. Imagine if we had a faith that was built tough. A faith that really trusted God regardless of when and where we go and who we go it with. We have a faith that's unshakable. We have a faith that's immovable. Imagine if our finances were built to honor God, not ourselves. What if we actually understood the power of money that has eternal power rather than a temporal pleasure? I just wonder. My daughter and I were out shopping, doing some Christmas stuff, and she said to me, she goes, what is it about people that they're going to empty these shelves for Christmas? And I was just honest with her. I said, well, I think we want to argue the fact that we like giving gifts. But for the most part, I think is that we're trying to buy love. And we're just not afraid to look at it. Because we don't need to do any of that if we really understand Christmas. Now, I love the presents, okay? But all year this year, my kids have been asking, what do you need? And I said, nothing, I got everything. My wife and I were out doing some stuff that we like to do stockings with our, with our kids on uh, Christmas morning. And she goes, well, I don't have anything to put in your stocking. And I said, that's probably the best thing I've ever gotten. Because, sweetie, I don't need anything. I don't need more clothes. You gotta be kidding me. I need more shoes, but that's another subject. <laughs> But not true, okay? But, but you follow what I'm saying? I have everything. I've been married for 32 years to a woman I love. I got three kids I adore. I pastor a church that I love. What else do I need? I have been bought by the blood of my Savior, Jesus Christ. And I've, my name has been written in the book. What else do I need? Amen to that? What else? I did shopping. And I looked at a world that couldn't give me anything, and I found Christ who gave me everything. I need not look any further. Need not look. But when we talk about family and friends, I want to wrap this up, and I want to give you the next three ingredients as we're wrapping up this series. Now, hear this. I believe it was Mark Twain that said this. A man who dies with one friend dies a rich man. And Mark Twain made this statement, and I die a poor one. 
If you ever study his life, he will tell you, I never knew what it was like for someone to love me. Because they couldn't get past who I was and what I had accomplished. They loved Mark Twain, but they failed to understand that my name was really Samuel Clemens. It's amazing how our friendships lack so much depth and we're missing what it's all about because everything in Christianity has to do with people. Did you know that? It has nothing to do with what you give. It has nothing to do with what you really got. It has nothing with you do when it comes to attendance. It has nothing to do with understanding church. Everything that we will be, if you will, judged on will have to do with relationships. Everything about God is relational. That's why if you're harboring a grudge, you don't understand the unbelievable sin in doing that. That's what I'm trying to help you with. There's nothing in the Bible that gives you the privilege to harbor a grudge. My oldest daughter was talking to me about something and we were walking through some stuff. And one of the things that she shared with me, she said, I'm working on this. And I told her, I wrote her back and I said, sweetie, you don't understand something. Regardless of what anybody's ever done to you, you don't get the privilege to work on anything. When it comes to forgiveness, you're either in partnership with God or you're in rebellion with God. You don't get to work on forgiveness. Because God didn't work on it with you. He died on the cross and gave it as a gift. And he said what? Forgive as I have forgiven you. That is a choice. That's not something you work on. It's something that you just accept and partner with. You see, relationships are a big, big deal. And think about it. If people could see us at our worst, and yet they always want to give us their best. When you mess up, you can always count on that they will still hang in and hang on. When you can't get it right, they will never talk about how you got it wrong. Wouldn't you love to have friends like that? I'm all alone in this. <laughs> so here's the next ingredient. If we're going to be built tough when it comes to family and friends, do I shoot straight? Say that with me. Do I shoot straight? And a little bit different than Sven and Oli, okay? All right? But what I'm talking about is, am I really honest when it comes to my friends? Do I really level with them? See, I think one of the great problems in our world today is that too many friends tell us what we want to hear rather than what we need to hear. Would you agree with that? But I think part of the problem isn't them, I think it's us. Because what I've discovered, people would rather have false flattery than experience a genuine friendship. I just think it's true. You know what the Bible says in Proverbs 24? An honest answer is the evidence, it is the sign of a true friendship. That's the evidence, because that's what love is. Love is truly always honest. Proverbs 28 says this, in the end, people appreciate frankness more than they do flattery. This is what Thomas Jefferson called the first chapter in the book of wisdom. Look, look what the Bible says in Proverbs 27. Wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. The wounds from a sincere friend. When Pastor Reed comes in my office and we close the door and he says, listen, I need to talk to you about something. I'm all ears. 
That friendship has been so proven over the years. It has been so forged in steel. And I know that Reed would do nothing to ever hurt me. And I also know that Reed will do nothing to ever walk away from me. There's nothing he can do or I can do to ever hurt the bond that we have. And I appreciate that. Words from him mean the world to me, mean the world. But there's some key rules and I don't want you to miss them. Write the first one down. You don't say until you pray. Say it with me. You don't say until you pray. Say it again. You don't say until you pray. If you haven't gone to God first, you ready for this? Then never, ever go to them. Let me say it again. And this is true in marriage. If you haven't talked to God first, then don't ever think that you have the right or the privilege to go to them and speak on anything. Please hear this again. When my wife and I have conflict, the most essential thing that I can do is talk with God before I talk with her. Because I have no marriage without her or without him. Does that make sense? Boy, if couples could hear this. Let me just say it again. You will find yourself having very little conflict in your marriage if you'd start talking to God before you talk to your spouse. I just want you to think about that. Because every conflict you have is based upon your perception and none of that perception is reality. You see the problem? You have no clue how many times I've gone to God and you know what he says? Don't say anything. I got it. I'm like, God, but she really needs to hear from me. Like, no, she don't, Keith. All right? Right now, you need to hear from me. Let me say it another way. People don't need a piece of your mind. What they need is the peace of God in their heart. And that requires that you go to God first. Proverbs 25 says this, the right word at the right time is like precious gold set in silver. And yet I've had a lot of people come to me and they'll say, well, pastor, when do you know? When do you know like you need to say something or not? And I always say this, after you prayed, you'll know. And they'll say, but pastor, I did pray. I still don't know. You know what I tell them? Keep praying. Keep praying. Just keep praying. Folks, listen, if you're really going to have a quote word from the Lord, by the way, the Bible says what? Every idle word that you say, you will be held accountable by God. Only speak what builds up and encourages the other. Think about that. So I want to read back into the equation here. One of the things that's really important in our relationship is if I have, quote, a word from the Lord, boy, I'm really sensitive to that because it's amazing to me in the church how many people have a word from the Lord and I don't even know who they are, okay? And so when I don't know them and they come up to me and say, listen, I have a word from the Lord, I always tell them I don't want to hear it because it's not biblical. I'm just being upfront with you. God doesn't take total strangers to come speak into your life because God's a relational God. And I'm not going to hold it with a lot of, with a lot of, if you will, a lot of integrity and character. But if Reed comes to me, see, we have a friendship. We have something that's really been, if you will, seasoned through time. 
When he comes and says, listen, I have something that's really on my heart. And I know he's prayed about it. It's absolutely important. Here's number, here's number two. Check your heart before you correct their heart. Amen to that? Check your heart before you correct their heart. Helping someone is not a license to say whatever you want, whenever you want. That's not friendship, folks. You're for that? That's foolishness. That's foolishness. Jesus said what in Matthew 7? Don't worry about a speck in your friend's eyes when you have a log in your own. That's why you need to go, if you will, and talk with God first. I, I don't know if you've ever figured this out, but it's true in my life. I'm amazed when I feel that I need to share something with my spouse. I'm amazed that most of the time, it really has nothing to do with my spouse. It has everything to do with me. When something's not like it's rubbing me wrong, almost every time it's like God's holding up a mirror in front of me. There's something he's trying to expose. That's why over and over he says, pray before you say. It's so important that you get that. So check your heart before you correct their heart. Here's number three. Compliment them in public Correct them in private. Compliment them in public. Correct them in private. Friends never embarrass friends. By the way, Christians don't embarrass other Christians, even if they're not a close friend. They never make a public spectacle of them. And I want to offer this. This is not my notes, but I'm just going to offer this real quick. Be very careful with these words. I was just joking. I'm amazed how many times you weren't. I'm just amazed how many times. And I try to be very careful with that. I, and, and I still have to work on it. Because a lot of times we hide behind that, but we're really trying to make a statement. And the goal is not to make a statement. The goal is to build someone up, right? To help them grow. So here's something I'd encourage you to do. Learn to ask permission. When you get them in private, do something like this. If I saw something in you that was keeping you from becoming everything God wanted you to be, now I might be wrong. Would you want me to share that with you? Now they might say yay, they might say nay. Now there's a reason for that, okay? Because here's number four. Correct them when they're up, not when they're down. Correct them when they're up, not when they're down. See. You might come and say, if I saw something, would you want me to share it with you? They might be really having a bad day. That's not a good time. So all of these work together. So ask him, how are you doing today? Now, the goal isn't to this. I'm doing really great. All right, let me help you bring you down, okay? All right, that's not the goal, okay? I call this the love bank. You're going to like this. I call this the love bank. Now think about it. Like a bank account... You have to make a lot more deposits before you can make any withdrawals, right? Now, you don't have to because Americans are really good to live on credit, right? But not friendships. When you make plenty of deposits, you're privileged to make the withdrawal. That's why we coin an old phrase that says this. If you build people up, you'll never let them down. You'll never let them down. Finally, here's the last one. If you can't take it, don't dish it. Friendships are a two-way street. If you can't take it, don't dish it. In other words, ask yourself, if the shoes were on the other feet, they were on my feet, would I want them speaking into my life? Start there. Ask yourself that. See, friendships are a two-way street. 
See, here's what I've discovered. Too many people want to have the tongue of God, but they never pay mind that they have the ears of the devil. If you can't listen, you shouldn't speak. Friendships are always a two-way street. Again, Proverbs 27, the wounds of a sincere friend can be trusted. They can be trusted. Now, every week we've been having a young person come forward. And I'm really excited about this. Because many of you know, my middle daughter has a call to full-time ministry. And so I want you to welcome Jaden as she comes and she's going to share number five with you. Well, good morning, Celebrate. I don't know if you guys ever look at labels when you get products. And I know we're coming into Christmas time, which is crazy. It's crazy that Christmas is less than a week away. But we're getting a lot of products because we're buying presents for people. And so I found some this week that I was looking at, and I thought they were hilarious. And so I wanted to share them with you guys. And so I saw on a hair dryer, it said, Warning, do not use while sleeping. And I thought that was really funny. On a chainsaw, it said, danger, do not hold the wrong end of a chainsaw. And you know that when we read these, we know that they put these on the products because someone tempted to do these things before, so they want to let us know. And then on a washing machine, I, I saw it and it said, warning, do not put any person in this washer. On a hanger, it said, caution, do not swallow. And I, I love the picture on this one. Like, what? In her microwave, this one's terrible. It said, warning, do not use for drying pets. And this one's my favorite one. It's kind, of, it's kind of gross, but it was a thermometer. It said, warning, once used rectally, the thermometer should not be used orally. But I thought that was really funny. But in all seriousness, warning labels do serve a purpose. Because why warning, they put warning labels on products because they want us to feel safe when we're using products. And I think that's the same thing in friendship too, in relationships with people. We want to feel safe in our friendships and safe in our relationships. And honestly, it would be nice if friends came with warning labels like, Warning, do not talk to in the morning unless if they had their first coffee. And if you're my husband, when we first got married, I wish he came with the warning label, warning, do not try to wake up in the morning. And I learned that one the hard way. But seriously, warning labels do serve a purpose. And that comes to our next point this morning. You can write this down in your notes. It's, am I safe? Am I safe? Are you a safe friend? Do you have safe friends? And I think a lot of people, when we're looking for safe friends or we're trying to be a safe friend in people's lives, I think we get confused with having the credibility in someone's life. Because when we look at having a safe friend, we think we have credibility because we impress people or that we have influence in someone's life. And we try to impress people by what we have, the kind of car we drive, the kind of house we live in, the things that we have in our house. 
the things that we wear, the things that we say, or the way how we say things. But friendship is not about impress, it's about impact. It's about impacting people's lives. And the younger people in this room would know what I talk about when I talk about Instagram influencer. Like, you gotta go onto Instagram to get the deals from an Instagram influencer. And with influence in people's lives, we often look that we can say things in people's lives because we have influence over them. But while influence in someone's life may get you a friend, it's the impact that you have in someone's life that's gonna keep them as your friend. And so that's our point, am I safe? But there's two things that 1 Timothy 4.16 points out, two keys of how we can become a safe friend. And so if you wanna turn to your Bibles, we'll be in 1 Timothy 4.16. It says, keep a firm grasp on both your teaching and your life. Don't be diverted, just keep at it. And here's why, this is the goal in friendship. Both you and those who hear you will experience salvation. That's what friendship is all about. That's the goal, is to point people to Christ. And if they don't know Christ, to point them to where they can come to know him and to love him. And the first key that 1 Timothy 4.16 pointed out is that this is the first key. Mean what you say. Mean what you say. Because people want to know that our word means something. People want to know that my word means something. Because your word is your worth, and your worth is your word. In Proverbs 11, 11, 5, it says, The godly are diverted by honesty. And this is a little side note if you want to write this down, because I want to talk a little bit about honesty and what honesty means in relationship with people. So this is my little side note. It's lies aren't wise. And we're taught that from a really young age, and I like, I like that it rhymes. Lies aren't wise. And this is the reason that God wrote don't lie on the list of don't murder and don't commit adultery. And sadly, I think in the church, we put murder and adultery in a separate category of sins as lies. But I think lies are often the root to those bigger choices that some people do make. Because when you start lying on the small things, you're gonna end up lying on the big things eventually in your life. Lies are the root to a lot of poor choices that people make in their life. And so when you don't tell the full truth, we've heard it before, if you don't tell the full truth, you're telling a lie. And when you tell lies in friendships and in relationships, you're not a safe friend and people cannot rely on you. The second thing that 1 Timothy 4.16 pointed out to become a safe friend is do what you say. Not just to mean what you say, but to do what you say. And Benjamin Franklin puts it this way. He said, promise may get you friends, but it is performance that keeps them. The Bible says in Psalms 15:5, keep your word even when it costs you. And I like that, even when it costs you something. And there's an old adage that says, I can't believe what you say because I see what you do. And I think sadly that's often true 
is because our friends may promise a lot of things or say they will do a lot of things, that they'll show up when we're struggling. But sadly, in our world, people don't because they get distracted with their own life. And so to be a safe friend, we have to mean what we say and do what we say. And if I could get a bit personal with you guys this morning on something that why being a safe friend means so much to me is because actually this past week we talked about mental health at our monthly young adult gathering in our young adult ministry. And mental health is something really personal to me because when I was a sophomore in high school, I was diagnosed with an anxiety disorder. And it brought a lot of clarity to things that I was struggling with, a lot of the things that I was going through, choices that I was making. It brought clarity to that but it also brought a lot of confusion in my life because I didn't know how to cope with the things that I was dealing with. But the one thing that I look back onto and I'm so grateful is the people that came around me and surrounded me in prayer. And I start, when I didn't know how to cope with things, I started making really poor choices, but I had safe people in the church, safe people at my school. My parents were so safe that I could run to and say, I'm struggling, I need help, and they would let me lean on them without any judgment. But I want to tell the the awesome story and the awesome testimony that what God has done in my life, because I love to proclaim what God has done in my life, is when I got to my second year of college, I went to a Christian college, so one day I was in chapel, and I was actually playing on the worship team that morning, I was playing the keys, and... Um, I was in chapel, and before we went into the second song, the worship leader felt the prompting to pray for mental health because that was something really big on our campus at the time. A lot of people were experiencing mental health. And so he just said, before we go into this next song, if you are struggling right now and if you want prayer, just raise your hand and people are going to come around you. And so I was in my head and thinking, like, man, I don't want to raise my hand. I don't want to draw attention to myself. I'm up here on stage. I don't want to take away from anything. But I just felt this prompt in my heart and said, it doesn't matter what other people think. Raise your hand. You need prayer. And so I, rose, I raised my hand. People came around me. And I can proclaim to this day that I have not experienced an anxiety attack. I've not experienced a panic attack or severe anxiety since that day because God healed me in that moment. And I don't share that to to bring glory to myself, but all to God. But the picture that I want for you guys to get this morning is the picture that people came around me and surrounded me and made me feel safe. And that's what we need to do in friendship, is that to be able to raise our hand and say, I'm struggling, I need prayer, and to have safe people that come around us. That we know 100% that we are a safe friend and that we have safe friends. So when we're struggling, we know that they'll mean what they say and do what they say. But if you want to have these safe friends, you first have to become a safe friend yourself and take these keys and to look, what does your promise really mean? When you promise something in your life, do you follow through? When your friends are struggling, do you show up? Do you mean what you say and do you do what you say?
I want to invite Ryan to the stage. As he comes, I just want to wrap up with number six. Do I make others smile? Say it with me. Do I make others smile? <laughs> in fact, we'll get a little more personal. Look at someone you're sitting with and say, do I make others smile? You got to be a little careful there, don't you? In other words, do I bring joy to people's lives? I don't know about you, but there's just too many sad sacks in the world. Would you agree with that? And, and it seems like this time of the year, they really come to the surface, don't they? If you're out shopping, it's like, really? This is supposed to be the most wonderful time of the year. You look like it's a chore, like it's killing you. But see, that's why I make that statement. Not, not to try to be mean, not to try to uh, in, make an indictment. Only to, if you will, cause an insight for us to reflect and say, do I try to purchase people's loves? Am I getting more lost in the present that I'm not being in the present? That I'm not being joy? I don't know if you remember Hee Haw. I've used this example many times, but you remember that? Yeah. Gloom, despair, agony on me. Yeah. Deep, dark depression, excessive misery. If it weren't for bad luck, I'd have no luck at all. You remember that song? Yeah. And it's like, wow. You start looking at people and thinking, do you even know who Christ is? Do you even understand who this Jesus is? He came that we'd have life and life to the fullness. He's such a good, good God. Proverbs 17, 22, look what it says. Read it, in fact, read it out loud with me. Being cheerful keeps you healthy. It's a slow death to be gloomy all the time. Isn't that an amazing verse? Being cheerful actually is good for your health. In fact, I don't know if you know this, but smiling has a double effect. It's really true. In fact, studies have shown that when you smile, you release endorphins, other natural painkillers, serotonins. Together, these brain chemicals make us feel good and actually relax our bodies and reduces pain. Did you know that? But here's the other side effect. Every time you smile at someone, the brain of the other person tells them that they must return the favor. Did you know that? It's a crazy thing. You're actually creating a relationship that allows both of you to feel better, making you both more attractive. See, like if you look at somebody and you think, man, you got an ugly face, smile at them. <laughs> you actually have the ability to bring out the better. Maybe they're ugly because they keep looking at you. There's a thought. But you become more attractive and you increase the chance that you'll actually live longer. Did you know that? That's why one of my concerns in this pandemic is, if we're not careful, isolation is not good for the human creation. We need others in our lives, true? We need that. And sometimes there can be so much negative out there. We get so wrapped up into it. When I don't know about you, if you've got Jesus, oh my goodness, you have very little negative if you think about it. Because you have everything you need in Jesus. A.W. Tozer said this, the Christian owes it to the world 
to be supernaturally joyful. So I want you to turn to someone right now and just give them a nice cheesy smile. Would you do that? Look at someone right now and just give them a nice cheesy smile. See, look at it. See, see, hear the little rumbling of laughter going on? Come on, look at him. Look at it again and give him another cheesy smile. Just a real... So let me review this again. Can people count on you? Like when the going gets tough, will you stay steadfast and movable? If things in the church don't go the way you want, because I'm a little concerned about it. I was on the phone with Dr. Joanne Lyon. Many of you know that she's my key mentor. And I was talking to her about Christmas, what we're doing this year. And right away she goes, uh, how's it going? Is anybody leaving the church? She asked me that. Now here's a gal that's in her 80s. She'd been around the block and been in the church for a long time, but she understands. When you change something, people get all freaked up about it. I mean, I recognize some of you probably, well, you got to have Christmas Eve. It's not in the Bible, by the way, um, but you got to have Christmas Eve. It's not. In fact, what we're doing, you need to know we're doing exactly what the first church actually did. Did you know that? If you actually do a study of history here in America, we're the ones that flipped it. And did you know that about 99% of churches in this country will have no services on Christmas? So I've just been asking myself, do we do Christmas Eve so we can get it out of the way so we can make Jesus' birthday our day? I just find that interesting. Where in the Bible does it say that Christmas, the word Christmas isn't even in there, but where does the Bible say that Christmas is about family? It's not in there. You have no family if Jesus Christ wasn't born. We have no Christmas if Jesus Christ wasn't born. Your watch, your calendar, everything in history is because of the birth of Jesus Christ. And I just wonder how many families get so wrapped up in family they forget about the birthday and whose it is in the first place. Like, I got to tell you, when my children have a birthday, I never make it about me. I make it all about them. Why is it in the church when it comes to Jesus' birthday we make it all about us? Now, I'm just posing this and just throwing the thought out. Sometimes, you ready for this? Some of your traditions need to die. But I told Joanne, I know how it works. I might have a lot of people because you have to do Christmas Eve, which isn't in the Bible, but you have to do Christmas Eve because that's the way we've always done it. And they might go to another church and they might decide to go to that other church. I just want you to think about that for a moment. Who's that about? But I'm okay with that because I didn't come to grow a church. I came to grow the kingdom of God. And we desperately need in this country to flip the script. We desperately need the country that on December 26th, we don't start taking down the lights and the trees and all the stuff and change the music and go back to the way it used to be. Jesus wasn't the end of a holiday. He was the beginning of every day of your life. That's why I say Christmas should be 365 days a year. It should never have been something that we celebrate. All of heaven celebrated because the answer came into the world, God with us. Not God for a moment. Not God for a memory. It was a God in us, with us, to change every day of our life. So we're just trying to flip it this year. 
Do I have staying power? Am I selfless? Can I keep a secret? Do I shoot straight or just shoot? Am I safe? Do I make other people smile? Built tough. I want to be a church of people that is built tough. We have a faith in our finances, with our family and friends. We're just built tough. There's nothing stronger, more steadfast, unshakable than God's people. Specifically in this church. That's how I want to lead you. And so we're going to do what the old church did, early church. Next year, might, we might just go all back to what we used to do. I'm sad and even say those words. But just this year, I'm just trying to flip the script. Rubbing a little bit, maybe breaking some things that we've built, but maybe they need to be broke. I don't know. But I do know this, that we've done nothing in our home right now until Christmas morning. We're coming to church. And then after church, we're going to do what Jesus said. Think of others more important than ourselves. And we're going to go out and we're going to love on some families and we're going to love on some older people and we're just going to go give after church. And then we're going to come back and then we're going to open our gifts and share with each other. Because when Jesus comes and we really meet him, we die to ourselves and we become tools and ambassadors of light into the world. That's what God wanted his church to be. To go out and be light into a dark world. To think of others more important than ourselves. To serve. That's what love is. And then we come back. And we're going to celebrate the birth of Christ. And I'm asking you to join me with that. Just asking you to, just this year. And let's see what God does. Father, I thank you so much for this series. I thank you so much for just our young people sharing I think of Timothy and Jonathan and Noah and Jaden. God, it just fires me up to think about, and I hope all of the older people of my generation older see, wow, the church is in good hands. There's an unbelievable amount of young people. This is just even a glimpse of it. This church is full of young people who just want to step out and be used by you. It's incredibly humbling for me, and yet I'm so proud of them. So excited about how, how our world will change so much because of them, of your work in them and through them. God, I pray that all of us would ask ourselves and we would surrender ourselves and die to self, that we would be resurrected in you to be built tough. When it comes to our faith, our finances, our friends, and our family. In Jesus' name I pray. And everyone says, amen. amen. Well, thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past messages. And if you like what you're hearing, consider rating it and even sharing it with your friends. It helps so much. You know, you can click the share button, take a screenshot and share it on your social stories and tag us at Celebrate Church. For more content from Celebrate and to connect with us, go to celebrate.church. We love you and we believe in you. God bless. God bless.